Good morning, this is Denise Buck, and we are studying this summer with Calvary Monterey Women's Bible Study through the book of 1 Thessalonians. So I'm just going to take a minute to pray, and then we're going to jump into this study in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We did chapter 1 last week. You can access these uh, on our Women's Ministry Facebook page, on Facebook at Calvary Monterey Women's Ministry, and then scroll down. And you should be able to find uh, a link to click and find this podcast. Thank you for listening in. So I'm going to pray and then we'll jump into it. Heavenly Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you so much for the access that we have uh, into the throne room of God through the blood of Jesus. And Lord, I pray that you would be with us this morning. You would guide our thinking and you would inspire our hearts to love you and to serve you more as we study your word. So, Lord, we give this time to you for your honor and glory, and we pray, Lord, that uh, as we are gathered uh, together virtually, that you would be here with us as you promise, and that, Lord, this time would be pleasing unto you and edifying for us. So, Lord, inspire these words to us, open up the word of God to us, that it might nurture us, nourish us, and instruct us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so uh, last week when we went through 1 Thessalonians 1, it was 10 short verses, and so I read the whole passage at the beginning. This week I'm not going to do that. Uh, This is easily divided up into five sections, and so I'm going to do a section at a time and chat about it and then move on to the next section. So 1 Thessalonians 2 reads like this in the first three verses. For you yourselves know, brethren that our coming to you was not in vain. So Paul is talking again about his visit uh, to the Thessalonians. But even after we had suffered before and been spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak the gospel to you, in, but in much conflict. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it from deceit. So let's stop right there just for a moment and look at a few key words in these three verses. So first of all, Paul says, for you yourselves know. So he's appealing to their experience and the knowledge that they have of him as a person and of his visit to them. And he uh, says to them, our coming to you was not in vain. Now let's think about the word in vain for just a moment. When things are done in vain, it means they have no purpose. It means they have no lasting value. It means that um, there's nothing really positive, long-lasting, or good that comes from anything that we do that we do in vain. So Paul is saying here that even though perhaps his visit to them was accompanied by many struggles and difficulties, it was not in vain. There was good that came out of it. There was positive fruit born through it. So thinking about the word in vain, it's very interesting to me as I think back to uh, years ago studying the book of Ecclesiastes and actually again recently reading the book of Ecclesiastes. And in Ecclesiastes, the very, very wise King Solomon repeatedly says about many things, vanity, vanity, all is vanity. And he goes through a laundry list of things uh, in life that just bring us up short, come up empty, uh, and it's vanity, vanity, all is vanity. So 
how is it that Paul can so confidently say that his visit to the Thessalonians, even though they encountered a great conflict of suffering uh, and were spitefully treated at Philippi, and yet he says, this was not in vain. There was good purpose in this. There was great fruit born from this. The Bible clearly says in the New Testament, fast forward from Ecclesiastes through the Gospels into the Epistles, and the Bible clearly teaches New Testament energesis that there is much of life that we can experience and uh, plan and accomplish and do that's not in vain. And that is great news. So what makes the difference between vanity, vanity, all is vanities in the Old Testament, fast forward New Testament, enter Jesus, and turn over to 1 Corinthians 15 or move there on your phone if you're looking these passages up on your phone. 1 Corinthians 15, there's this beautiful passage. 1 Corinthians 15 is all about the resurrection. And at the very last verse of 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says to the Corinthian church, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So I just want to encourage you this morning that anything you do in the name of Christ, anything you do that's prompted by your faith in God, anything you do to extend the kingdom of God into your own heart by reading the Bible, spending time in prayer to those around you by blessing them, encouraging them, praying for them, uh, reaching out to them, or as Paul did, visiting them. There are so many people that could just use a visit and here, during this time of COVID, those visits need to be by Zoom or by phone uh, or by email or by text. But we do not have to be uh, unfruitful just because we're stationary. So Paul is saying to them in Corinthians and then again in this passage, our coming to you was not in vain. So meditate, think, pray for a moment this morning. Lord Jesus, what would you have me do today that would not be in vain, that would accomplish something for your kingdom? Who could I reach out to? Who could I call? Who could I encourage? Who could I pray for? These things, the things we do for the Lord, are not in vain. Then in verses 2 and 3, we see this interesting dichotomy between great, bold ministry and difficulty and opposition and conflict. So in verse 2, he says, But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God. And then he mentions it again, in much conflict. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. So we need to realize that, that we need to seek the Lord for boldness in the areas that he's calling us to because many times, just because God calls us to something, it does not mean that it will be seamless or that it will be completely smooth sailing 
or there will not be any turmoil or opposition or pain in what he calls us to. God is going to call us to things that he wants to accomplish through us. And so many times throughout the Bible, um, in spiritual matters and uh, biblical things, more, more things are actually described as both and rather than either or. And I think in our humanness, we really like things to be either or. Like I really like things to be black or white or hot or cold. And, you know, in Revelation, the Lord speaks of that too. But there are many, many times in the Bible where it's not either or, where it's both and. And so here's a few places where Paul is talking to the uh, church in Thessalonica about, you know, you're going to be very bold because of God. And you're going to declare the mysteries of God and you're going to preach and you're going to minister to people, but it's not going to be without opposition and conflict. So even as uh, recently as back in chapter one in verse six, Paul says, First uh, Thessalonians 1, 6, and you became followers of us and of the Lord having past tense received the word, how? In much affliction, with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So how many times is that true in our lives where there's something that is just an incredible delight, an incredible joy, uh, an amazing gift from God, whether it's uh, the coming of a relative to visit us or a great celebration for a milestone in someone's life or a graduation or a wedding or all of these different things that can happen in our lives and we can experience that produce great joy. And yet simultaneously, there can be difficulty, conflict, and opposition. So both and, both are from God. Both can be received from the Lord's hand. And we have to choose which are we going to major on? Which are we going to focus on? Which is our attention going to be continually drawn to? And what are we going to return thanks to God for above and beyond all else? My choice, I always want it to be for the blessings, for the joys, and for the, the great uh, work that God is willing to do amidst great affliction. So first of all, we have 1 Thessalonians 1.6 that says, And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. And then review again uh, the passage that we just read in 1 Thessalonians 2.2. But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the the gospel of God in much conflict. So in the face of much uh, opposition, pushback, pain, difficulty, conflict, we need to seek God to make us very, very bold. Turn over to Joshua chapter 1, and I just want to read a few passages about these wonderful, faithful men in the Old Testament uh, and God's exhortation to them. Joshua chapter 1 starting in verse 6. Here, uh, God speaking to Joshua, he says, Be strong and of good courage, for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers and to them. 
Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, may, that you may observe it to do all according to as is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid nor dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. This is the word of the Lord to Joshua. This is also the word of the Lord to us. So whatever you're facing today, um, discouragement, pain, opposition, isolation, the Lord would want you to be strong and courageous. So, so many times, just remember, the good comes with the difficult, and God has ordained both, and he will give us grace to be bold and courageous in the face of much opposition. Next little section is three verses, verses four through six. Back to 1 Thessalonians uh, 2 now. And here Paul says, But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak for covetousness, God is our witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. So in these three verses, Paul is primarily talking about being entrusted with a treasure, being approved by God and entrusted with this wonderful treasure of the gospel. We have all been entrusted, as Paul was, with this wonderful treasure of the gospel. There's uh, another verse in 1 Corinthians 15 that says, It is required of a steward. Nope, wrong uh, reference. Excuse me. Oh my gosh. So we're back in... First Thessalonians two, chapter 2, verse 4 through 6. And here Paul brings up the whole concept of being approved by God and not seeking the approval of people and being entrusted with a great treasure, the gospel. Let me read these three verses and then we'll uh, dig into it a little bit. So starting in verse 4, First Thessalonians 2, 4 says, But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak for covetousness. God is our witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. So Paul is saying here that he's been entrusted with a, a great treasure, the gospel, but he's not seeking to be approved by men any longer. He's seeking only to be approved by God. Uh, another passage in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 4.2, speaks of uh, people being entrusted with things, being stewards over things, being given care of something, and it says, moreover, it is required in stewards that they be found faithful. 
faithfulness is so important in our uh, ministry to the Lord and our ministry to one another. We've been entrusted with this great treasure, the gospel, and God would desire that we be found faithful. So we have been approved by God, and what we continue to seek is God's approval, not the approval of man. In uh, Proverbs 29, 25, uh, increasingly known verse for years when I shared uh, Bible teaching, it was a little known verse. But through the years, I realized that this verse has become a lot more known and much more common. In Proverbs 29, verse 25, the Bible says, the fear of man brings a snare. Uh, that's just the part A of that verse. You can read the rest of it on your own, on your own time. But it's a life-altering uh, truth to embrace, to realize that as long as we're dominated by the need of affirmation from people, seeking approval from people, needing people in a, an unhealthy way, and actually fearing people, fearing the loss of people's love, fearing the loss of people's approval. Um, Paul goes so far to say in Galatians 1.10 that he says of himself, if people-pleasing were my goal, I would not be Christ's servants. So he makes it very black and white. He makes it very clear. So there come those places in life that we need to choose the right, uh, the, to go to the right or to the left, that we come to crossroads. We come to forks in the road in our lives. And uh, another fork in the road that is described in Matthew is in Matthew 6, 24, the Bible says you can't serve God and money. So many of us have come to places in our lives where we need to make a choice and we need to choose, are we going to serve God? Are we going to continue just to try to build our own kingdom, feather our own nest, try to accumulate as many goods and as much money in the bank as possible to really, really, really genuinely serve God? We are going to have to abandon that pursuit of the accumulation of goods and building a big bank account. It doesn't mean that as Christians and as leaders in the Christian uh, ministry will necessarily always be in poverty. I don't feel like there's any reason we need to take a vow of poverty, but we're, we're gonna need to make a choice when decisions have to be made. Are we ultimately gonna serve God or are we gonna serve money? And secondarily, in this passage, Paul is saying, Verse 6, nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others. So he's saying we were not seeking after having people applaud us, having people congratulate us, us being popular with people. What we were seeking was God's approval. And there's so much freedom in that. So back to the Proverbs verse where it says in Proverbs 29, 25, the fear of people brings a snare. But you know, walking in the fear of the Lord brings great freedom. So every day and today, you have a choice. Are you going to walk in the fear of people wondering, oh, what will she think if I do that? Or what will he say if I do that? Or are we going to shake ourselves loose from that and ask God's grace to be free from that trap or snare that the fear of serving people brings and 
Just serve God. Just look to God and just do what God is calling us to do and trust him to help us be at peace with the people around us. So the choice we need to make, fear of God, fear of people. So, so far we've seen that uh, Paul states his mission, that his mission is to preach the gospel and to preach the gospel with boldness and that he's convinced that that is not in vain. And then the fact that we are messengers or we are ambassadors. Another beautiful passage about being ambassadors is in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20. And Paul says there, we are ambassadors for Christ. Think about that word ambassador for a minute. In, in the First Thessalonians passage, Paul uses the word messengers. Messengers, ambassadors, emissaries, sent ones, the ones that uh, have our roots and our a real home in heaven and we are here in the earth on mission as ambassadors representatives of Jesus Christ so you know one uh, way of um, identifying or defining or uh, mm, I can't think of the good word uh, one way of deciding how we're going to move forward, what choices we're going to make, where we're going to put our efforts in this life is to think, how can I be the best representative of Jesus Christ? I'm not representing my family of origin. I'm not representing myself. I'm not representing, uh, who I thought I who I thought I was or who I want to be, I have surrendered all that. I've laid all that down. I've walked away from all that. I consider myself dead to all that, so that I might one hundred percent serve Christ. So now that Paul has talked about his uh, mission and the fact that we're messengers, and he states his purpose. He makes a purpose statement that we are entrusted with this wonderful treasure of the gospel and we are going to speak it forth with boldness, not in an effort to please men, but rather to please God. Then he moves on to, in all of these things, the message, the mission, <clears throat> and the fact that we are ambassadors, he moves on to the method. I love this portion of this chapter. So we're going to see three different methods, and they're all family-related. So I'm hoping all of you who are listening to this podcast love the family of God and are family-oriented, family-minded people. God is a family man. And whether there's a family that's small or there's a large, large, large family, God is in the midst of families. So starting in verse 7, 1 Thessalonians 2, 7 says, But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. So gentleness is a childlike virtue. And Paul is saying here, when we were with you, we were as children in the faith. We were gentle among you. And then he likens their demeanor when he was with them as 
a nursing mother cherishing her own children. So let's read through the, the next four verses, and then we'll come back uh, to each one. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil for laboring night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you, we preach to you the gospel of God. You are our witnesses, and God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. As you know, how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Wow, what a beautiful passage. So three different aspects of the method Paul used as he was seeking to please God and not being a people pleaser. He said, first of all, we were as children among you. We were gentle among you. You know, uh, in Matthew 18, and I want to turn to this passage and read it, there's uh, a beautiful passage about childlike faith in Matthew 18. Matthew 18, 1 starts out, At that time the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Then Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them, and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. Childlikeness. Such a, a wonderful, simple, gentle, godly quality. So Paul is saying that he, is, he embraced this childlike faith and he sought to be gentle as a child among the Thessalonians. Then he goes on to say, not only were we childlike among you and tender and gentle and innocent, but we were also as a nursing mother cherishing you as children. So what do, what do mothers do? There's an aspect of God that is very, very motherly. He, of course, has that fatherly side, but there's an aspect of God that's very, very motherly. <clears throat> I remember years ago as a young Christian, very early on, even though we were all pretty much the same age, all of us that were hanging out together, walking with the Lord, seeking to be disciples, um, <clears throat> growing in the faith, we were probably all between the ages of 19 and 24. But uh, very quickly, and I didn't understand why at the time, um, but people started referring to me as uh, mama. And I became the mama in a certain sense of this little group. I didn't have any children of my own. I wasn't particularly interested in having children, but I became the mama of this group. You know what makes someone a mama? Is they have that heart as a nursing mother. Nursing mother is very, very patient. Um, some babies nurse very quickly. Other babies take 30 minutes or more. And a nursing mother studies the face of that baby as she nurses the baby. 
she's present with the baby and she will take as long as it takes for the baby to get their nourishment. So aspects of mothering are feeding and nourishing and caring for. I think we as women easily have those qualities where we love to care for someone else. We love to provide for them. We love to provide food, clothing, shelter, uh, do whatever we can, maybe have a gift of hospitality. And Paul in this passage is saying, when he was with the Thessalonians, he was like that with them. He was teaching them and preaching to them, but he didn't just give them the word and move on. He was gentle among them like a child, but he also was as a nursing mother with them, and he cherished them. I would encourage you and exhort you today, allow yourself to cherish someone. Is there someone in your life that God is calling you to that you could start prayerfully and just begin to uh, believe in that person, um, be available to that person, open your heart to that person, really cherish another human being. It gives a whole uh, greater, deeper quality dimension to life when we cherish others. Then Paul goes on in verse 8 and says, So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but our own lives, because you had become dear to us. So as I was saying, allow a person or two or three to become very, very dear to you. Uh, Allow yourself to have an inner circle. Allow yourself to have a few people that are your loved ones, dearly loved, that you are affectionate toward. Verse 9, for you remember, brethren, our labor and our toil, for laboring night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you the gospel of God. You are our witnesses, and God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. As you know, how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, as a father does his own children, to do what? That you would walk worthy of God, who calls you to his own kingdom and glory. So here Paul likens himself to a father. And there are three things that Paul says a father does. A father exhorts, a father comforts, and a father charges, or warns. So I think in our human experience, a lot of times we can get a very skewed view of fatherhood and what a father does. So I love going back time and time again to this little passage verses. Uh, 10 through 12 in 1 Thessalonians 2 that describes what a father is really like. First of all, it speaks of a father as being very hardworking. You know, hard work is not bad. Hard work is good. It's good for us to work hard, whether it's for compensation or not for compensation. It's good for us to work hard within our very homes. It's good for us to work hard at keeping our homes functional and organized and clean. It's good for us to give ourselves to that labor. And then uh, in verse 10, Paul speaks of 
devotion, justice, and being blameless. He says, you are a witness in God also how devoted we were to you, how we conducted ourselves justly, and we were blameless in our behavior. So it's an interesting concept of blamelessness. You know, when people are blameless, it doesn't mean they're perfect. We're, none of us are ever going to be perfect until we get to heaven. But when, when we walk in this life, God does call us in our own Christianity, or especially if we're pursuing Christian ministry or being in Christian leadership, discipling others. God calls us in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, various different places, to a blameless life. He wants us to be blameless. Does that mean being perfectly perfect, never making a mistake, never uh, doing anything that would disappoint someone? No. Blamelessness means you have that purity that's a gift from God. You have that cleansed heart that's a gift from our faith from God. You have that forgiveness that washes over you so that even when you're accused or falsely accused, it just won't stick. Blamelessness has an aspect of uh, a cleansing that happens in our hearts so that when accusations come or false accusations come, they just won't stick. So I pray that for you today, that you will have that closeness with Christ, the constancy of confession of all of your sins before the Lord, so that his cleansing work would be current in you, continual in you. First uh, John 1, 9, when we confess our sins, Jesus is faithful and just to cleanse us from all our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Forgive us for all our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is the basis for blamelessness. So it doesn't mean perfection. It means a close walk with Christ where we're constantly being cleansed, where nothing will stick. No accusation, no false accusation against us will stick because we are walking in that uh, transparency with Christ that brings cleansing. So then the three other aspects that he brings up in verses 11 and 12 of what a father does. You know, a father isn't uh, a good father, a godly father, is not someone who's just looking for you to make a mistake. He's not someone who's just looking to bring the hammer down. He's not stern and strict and uh, very critical. Those are the concepts we have sometimes of what a father is like. But Paul says here, I was with you as I was with you as a father. And the aspects of fathering that he brings out is first of all, exhortation. Exhortation is a wonderful gift. I would seek I would encourage you to seek God to give you a gift of exhortation so that you can come alongside others and not just teach them and instruct them in the ways of the Lord, but you can more or less put your hands on their hands and help them learn how to walk with God. And then a comforter. A godly, good father brings comfort. I had a, a I, my dad wasn't a Christian in the years that I knew him. Um, I hope before the end of his life that he did come to Christ, but he wasn't uh, overtly a godly man. He didn't attend church. He didn't speak about the Lord. And yet my dad was a great dad. And one of the things my dad always did for me is he comforted me. He was always there with a gentle word, uh, encouraging word, 
an arm around my shoulder, um, sweet names, uh, nicknames for me. And I love being around my dad. So when you think about the Apostle Paul and the way he interacted with the Corinthian church, the church at Philippi, the church in Thessalonica, he was as a father to them. He warned them, he instructed them, he exhorted them, he comforted them. And then it says, and charged. And in the side margin of charged, it says implored, and another word that can be used is admonished. So a, a good father will exhort or encourage, and he'll also comfort, but then he'll he'll charge. He'll uh, put um, kind of a, a label on his children to guide them in the direction that they should go. He will implore them to not settle, to not fall to the lowest level, but he will implore them, live a life that's worthy. Live a life that's worthy of all the sacrifice that Christ has made for you. So even if you can't encourage your children or implore your children, and whether they're spiritual children or natural biological children, if you can't encourage them in the exact directions that they're choosing right now, what you can implore them in is to come back to Christ and to live a life that is worthy of the price Christ paid for them. Live a life that's worthy. Verse 12, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. All right, we're going to have to uh, finish the rest a little bit more quickly. Verses 13 through 16. For this re reason, we thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God which also effectively works in you who believe. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God, which are in Judea and Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans, who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us. And they do not please God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. But wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. Wow, incredible uh, four verses here, starting out talking about the word of God not being like just any other word. And you know, just recently I had a conversation with a friend and we were talking about uh, our Bibles, and we were talking about how our Bibles are so, we're, we're both lovers of books and lovers of libraries and uh, have book collections and love to read books, uh, are avid readers. But then we got to talking about our Bibles, and we were talking about how, you know, there are books on our shelves that we've read through the years, maybe a time, two times. Once in a while, there might even be a book that you'd read three times because you really love it, and it's just an awesome book. But <clears throat> as we were talking about this, we were talking about the Bible. But think about the Bible. We come back to the Bible and back to the Bible and back to the Bible, and the Bible never gets old. Because what does uh, Hebrews 4.12 say about the Bible? In the book of Hebrews, it says... For the word of God, meaning the Bible, 
is living, it's powerful, it's sharper than two-edged sword, any two-edged sword, able to pierce even to the division of the soul and the spirit and of the joints and the marrow, and it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Wow, what a description of the Word of God. So when you think about the Bible, it's a living book. It's not like just any book. We come back to the Bible and back to the Bible and back to the Bible. When I first started reading the Bible, I was 18 and a half years old. And now I've been reading the Bible for over 40 years. And you know what? Every morning when I get up out of bed, the first thing I look forward to, God's glory, not to my credit, is reading the Bible. The Bible just draws me back and draws me back and draws me back to itself. So Paul says here about the Bible that they received this word that they were preaching, which they were preaching to them, the Bible, not as the word of men. So when you go to your Bible, don't look at it as just another human book. Go to your Bible in faith and begin to read it as what it really is, as he says in verse 13, the word of God. This is the living, active word of God. It's not dead, which effectively works in you who believe. So as you add your faith to the reading of this word, this word works its work within you. Then he goes into this uh, little discussion about, again, great blessing and great boldness uh, being accompanied by opposition and suffering. So he talks about uh, that along with all of the wonderful things that God was doing and God working effectively among them, they encountered much suffering. How true is this? That oftentimes in our times of greatest blessing, our times of greatest encouragement, there's still that presence of opposition and suffering in our lives. This also is described very clearly in the book of Hebrews, this time in chapter 10. Let me just read this little passage to you. I think this describes this kind of suffering so clearly. Um, in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 31 through 36. Paul says, For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive what has been promised. And then a quote, For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come, and he will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but we are of those who believe to the saving of our souls. <coughs> so God provides for us opportunities, and he also provides for us boldness, and he also provides for us blessing. But along with that many times, there comes opposition and sacrifice and suffering. So Paul tells us in this passage in Thessalonians that there will be uh, oppositions just as Jesus faced opposition. 
even to the point that people might forbid us to try to speak, but that they will be repaid for their sins. And then he says, and the wrath that has come upon them to the uttermost. So unfortunately, God is going to deal with the people who oppose us, the people who persecute us, and that shouldn't produce any rejoicing in us. Um, but it is a, a sad fact of that life. And this passage ends with just a beautiful prayer, verses 17 through 20. So Paul is longing, longing, longing for these people that he was affectionate toward, these people who had become dear to him, verse 8. And then he says a prayer for them, starting in verse 17. But we, brethren, have been taken away from you for a short time in present, not in heart. We endeavor more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope? What is our joy or our crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. So I encourage you today, allow yourselves to rejoice in the people God has given you in your life. Re allow yourself to rejoice in the Lord first and foremost, and, in, and trust him to impress upon your heart his uh, mission, his message, make you an ambassador, and to allow you to be present with the people in your life with childlike faith as a nur nurturing mother, and also as an exhorting father. So Lord, thank you for your attention, and let's just go to the Lord in prayer and end this session. Heavenly Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you so much for this opportunity to share the word of God with my sisters through this podcast. And I pray, Lord, that your blessing would be upon your word that is living and active, and that it will do a good work in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4 through 6. And here Paul brings up the whole concept of being approved by God and not seeking the approval of people and being entrusted with a great treasure, the gospel. Let me read these three verses and then we'll uh, dig into it a little bit. So starting in verse 4, 1 Thessalonians 2, 4 says, But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak for covetousness. God is our witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. So Paul is saying here that he's been entrusted with a, a great treasure, the gospel, but he's not seeking to be approved by men any longer. He's seeking only to be approved by God. Uh, another passage in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 4.2, speaks of uh, people being entrusted with things, being stewards over things, being given care of something, and it says, moreover, it is required in stewards that they be found faithful. Faithfulness is so important in our uh, ministry to the Lord and our ministry to one another. We've been entrusted with this great treasure, the gospel, 
and God would desire that we be found faithful. So we have been approved by God, and what we continue to seek is God's approval, not the approval of man. In uh, Proverbs 29, 25, uh, increasingly known verse for years when I shared uh, Bible teaching, it was a little known verse, but through the years I realized that this verse has become a lot more known and much more common. In Proverbs 29, verse 25, the Bible says, the fear of man brings a snare. Uh, that's just the part A of that verse. You can read the rest of it on your own, on your own time. But it's a life-altering uh, truth to embrace, to realize that as long as we're dominated by the need of affirmation from people, seeking approval from people, needing people in a, an unhealthy way, and actually fearing people, fearing the loss of people's love, fearing the loss of people's approval. Um, Paul goes so far to say in Galatians 1.10 that he says of himself, if people-pleasing were my goal, I would not be Christ's servants. So he makes it very black and white. He makes it very clear. So there come those places in life that we need to choose the right uh, the, to go to the right or to the left, that we come to crossroads, we come to forks in the road in our lives. And uh, another fork in the road that is described in Matthew is in Matthew 6, 24, the Bible says you can't serve God and money. So many of us have come to places in our lives where we need to make a choice and we need to choose, are we going to serve God? Are we going to continue just to try to build our own kingdom, feather our own nest, try to accumulate as many goods and as much money in the bank as possible to really, really, really genuinely serve God? We are going to have to abandon that pursuit of the accumulation of goods and building a big bank account. It doesn't mean that as Christians and as leaders in the Christian uh, ministry will necessarily always be in poverty. I don't feel like there's any reason we need to take a vow of poverty, but we're going to need to make a choice when decisions have to be made. Are we ultimately going to serve God or are we going to serve money? And secondarily, in this passage, Paul is saying, verse 6, nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others. So he's saying we were not seeking after having people applaud us, having people congratulate us, us being popular with people. What we were seeking was God's approval. And there's so much freedom in that. So back to the Proverbs verse where it says in Proverbs 29, 25, the fear of people brings a snare. But you know, walking in the fear of the Lord brings great freedom. So every day and today, you have a choice. Are you going to walk in the fear of people wondering, oh, what will she think if I do that? Or what will he say if I do that? Or are we going to shake ourselves loose from that and ask God's grace to be free from that trap or snare that the fear of serving people brings and just serve God. Just look to God and just do what God is calling us to do and trust him to help us be at peace.
with the people around us. So the choice we need to make, fear of God, fear of people. So, so far we've seen that uh, Paul states his mission, that his mission is to preach the gospel and to preach the gospel with boldness and that he's convinced that that is not in vain. And then the fact that we are messengers or we are ambassadors. Another beautiful passage about being ambassadors is in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20. And Paul says there, we are ambassadors for Christ. Think about that word ambassador for a minute. In, in the First Thessalonians passage, Paul uses the word messengers. Messengers, ambassadors, emissaries, sent ones, the ones that uh, have our roots and our, our real home in heaven. And we are here in the earth on mission as ambassadors, representatives of Jesus Christ. So, you know, one uh, way of um, identifying or defining or, uh, mm, I can't think of the good word, uh, one way of deciding how we're going to move forward, what choices we're going to make, where we're going to put our efforts in this life is to think, how can I be the best representative of Jesus Christ? I'm not representing my family of origin. I'm not representing myself. I'm not representing uh, who, I thought I, who I thought I was or who I want to be. I have surrendered all that. I've laid all that down. I've walked away from all that. I consider myself dead to all that so that I might 100% serve Christ. So now that Paul has talked about his uh, mission and the fact that we're messengers and he states his purpose, he makes a purpose statement that we are entrusted with this wonderful treasure of the gospel and we are going to speak it forth with boldness, not in an effort to please man, but rather to please God. Then he moves on to, in all of these things, the message, the mission, <clears throat> and the fact that we are ambassadors. He moves on to the method. I love this portion of this chapter. So we're going to see three different methods. And they're all family related. So I'm hoping all of you who are listening to this podcast love the family of God and are family-oriented, family-minded people. God is a family man. And whether there's a family that's small or there's a large, large, large family, God is in the midst of families. So starting in verse 7, 1 Thessalonians 2 7 says, But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. So, gentleness is a childlike virtue. And Paul is saying here, When we were with you, we were as children in the faith. We were gentle among you. And then he likens their demeanor when he was with them as a nursing mother cherishing her own children. So let's read through the, the next four verses and then we'll come back 
to each one. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil, for laboring night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you, we preach to you the gospel of God. You are our witnesses, and God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. As you know, how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Wow, what a beautiful passage. So three different aspects of the method Paul used as he was seeking to please God and not being a people pleaser. He said, first of all, we were as children among you, we were gentle among you. You know, uh, in Matthew 18, and I want to turn to this passage and read it, there's uh, a beautiful passage about childlike faith in Matthew 18. Matthew 18, 1 starts out, At that time the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Then Jesus called a little child to him, set him in the midst of them, and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me. Childlikeness. Such a, a wonderful, simple, gentle, godly quality. So Paul is saying that he, is, he embraced this childlike faith and he sought to be gentle as a child among the Thessalonians. Then he goes on to say, not only were we childlike among you and tender and gentle and innocent, but we were also as a nursing mother cherishing you as children. So what do, what do mothers do? There's an aspect of God that is very, very motherly. He, of course, has that fatherly side, but there's an aspect of God that's very, very motherly. <clears throat> I remember years ago as a young Christian, very early on, even though we were all pretty much the same age, all of us that were hanging out together, walking with the Lord, seeking to be disciples, um, <clears throat> growing in the faith, we were probably all between the ages of 19 and 24. But uh, very quickly, and I didn't understand why at the time, um, but people started referring to me as uh, Mama. And I became the mama in a certain sense of this little group. I didn't have any children of my own. I wasn't particularly interested in having children, but I became the mama of this group. You know what makes someone a mama is they have that heart as a nursing mother. Nursing mother is very, very patient. Um, some babies nurse very quickly. Other babies take 30 minutes or more. And a nursing mother studies the face of that baby as she nurses the baby. She's present with the baby, and she will take as long as it takes for the baby to get their nourishment. So 
aspects of mothering are feeding and nourishing and caring for. I think we as women easily have those qualities where we love to care for someone else. We love to provide for them. We love to provide food, clothing, shelter, uh, do whatever we can, maybe have a gift of hospitality. And Paul in this passage is saying, when he was with the Thessalonians, he was like that with them. He was teaching them and preaching to them, but he didn't just give them the word and move on. He was gentle among them like a child, but he also was as a nursing mother with them, and he cherished them. I would encourage you and exhort you today, allow yourself to cherish someone. Is there someone in your life that God is calling you to that you could start prayerfully and just begin to uh, believe in that person, um, be available to that person, open your heart to that person, really cherish another human being. It gives a whole uh, greater, deeper quality dimension to life when we cherish others. Then Paul goes on in verse 8 and says, So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but our own lives, because you had become dear to us. So as I was saying, allow a person or two or three to become very, very dear to you. Uh, Allow yourself to have an inner circle. Allow yourself to have a few people that are your loved ones, dearly loved, that you are affectionate toward. Verse 9, For you remember, brethren, our labor and our toil, for laboring night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you the gospel of God. You are our witnesses, and God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. As you know, how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, as a father does his own children, to do what? That you would walk worthy of God, who calls you to his own kingdom and glory. So here Paul likens himself to a father. And there are three things that Paul says a father does. A father exhorts, a father comforts, and a father charges, or warns. So I think in our human experience, a lot of times we can get a very skewed view of fatherhood and what a father does. So I love going back time and time again to this little passage, verses uh, 10 through 12 in First Thessalonians 2, that describes what a father is really like. First of all, it speaks of a father as being very hardworking. And, you know, hard work is not bad. Hard work is good. It's good for us to work hard, whether it's for compensation or not for compensation. It's good for us to work hard within our very homes. It's good for us to work hard at keeping our homes functional and organized and clean. It's good for us to give ourselves to that labor. And then uh, in verse 10, Paul speaks of devotion, justice, and being blameless. He says, you are a witness in God also, how devoted 
we were to you, how we conducted ourselves justly, and we were blameless in our behavior. So it's an interesting concept of blamelessness. You know, when people are blameless, it doesn't mean they're perfect. We're, none of us are ever going to be perfect until we get to heaven. But when, when we walk in this life, God does call us in our own Christianity, or especially if we're pursuing Christian ministry or being in Christian leadership, discipling others. God calls us in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, various different places, to a blameless life. He wants us to be blameless. Does that mean being perfectly perfect, never making a mistake, never uh, doing anything that would disappoint someone? No. Blamelessness means you have that purity that's a gift from God. You have that cleansed heart that's a gift from our faith from God. You have that forgiveness that washes over you so that even when you're accused or falsely accused, it just won't stick. Blamelessness has an aspect of uh, a cleansing that happens in our hearts so that when accusations come or false accusations come, they just won't stick. So I pray that for you today, that you will have that closeness with Christ, the constancy of confession of all of your sins before the Lord, so that his cleansing work would be current in you, continual in you. First uh, John 1, 9, when we confess our sins, Jesus is faithful and just to cleanse us from all our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Forgive us for all our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is the basis for blamelessness. So it doesn't mean perfection. It means a close walk with Christ where we're constantly being cleansed, where nothing will stick. No accusation, no false accusation against us will stick because we are walking in that uh, transparency with Christ that brings cleansing. So then the three other aspects that he brings up in verses 11 and 12 of what a father does. You know, a father isn't uh, a good father, a godly father, is not someone who's just looking for you to make a mistake. He's not someone who's just looking to bring the hammer down. He's not stern and strict and uh, very critical. Those are the concepts we have sometimes of what a father is like. But Paul says here, I was with you as, I was with you as a father. And the aspects of fathering that he brings out is, first of all, exhortation. Exhortation is a wonderful gift. I would, seek, I would encourage you to seek God to give you a gift of exhortation so that you can come alongside others and not just teach them and instruct them in the ways of the Lord, but you can more or less put your hands on their hands and help them learn how to walk with God. And then a comforter. A godly, good father brings comfort. I had a, a I, my dad wasn't a Christian in the years that I knew him. Um, I hope before the end of his life that he did come to Christ, but he wasn't uh, overtly a godly man. He didn't attend church. He didn't speak about the Lord. And yet my dad was a great dad. And one of the things my dad always did for me is he comforted me. He was always there with a gentle word, an uh, encouraging word, an arm around my shoulder, um, sweet names, uh, nicknames for me. And I love being around my dad. 
So when you think about the Apostle Paul and the way he interacted with the Corinthian church, the church at Philippi, the church in Thessalonica, he was as a father to them. He warned them, he instructed them, he exhorted them, he comforted them. And then it says, and charged. And in the side margin of charged, it says implored. And another word that could be used is admonished. So a, a good father will exhort or encourage, and he'll also comfort. But then he'll, he'll charge. He'll uh, put um, kind of a, a label on his children to guide them in the direction that they should go. He will implore them to not settle, to not fall to the lowest level, but he will implore them, live a life that's worthy. Live a life that's worthy of all the sacrifice that Christ has made for you. So even if you can't encourage your children or implore your children, in, whether they're spiritual children or natural biological children, if you can't encourage them in the exact directions that they're choosing right now, what you can implore them in is to come back to Christ and to live a life that is worthy of the price Christ paid for them. Live a life that's worthy. Verse 12, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. All right, we're going to have to uh, finish the rest a little bit more quickly. Verses 13 through 16. For this re reason, we thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God, which are in Judea and Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did, from the Judeans who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us and they do not please God and are contrary to all men forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved so as always to fill up the measure of their sins but wrath has come upon them to the uttermost wow incredible uh four verses here starting out talking about the word of God not being like just any other word. And, you know, just recently I had a conversation with a friend and we were talking about uh, our Bibles and we were talking about how our Bibles are so, we're, we're both lovers of books and lovers of libraries and uh, have book collections and love to read books, uh, are avid readers. But then we got to talking about our Bibles and we were talking about how, you know, there are books on our shelves that we've read through the years, maybe a time, two times. Once in a while, there might even be a book that you'd read three times because you really love it and it's just an awesome book. But <clears throat> as we were talking about this, we were talking about the Bible. But think about the Bible. We come back to the Bible and back to the Bible and back to the Bible. And the Bible never gets old because... What does uh, Hebrews 4.12 say about the Bible? In the book of Hebrews, it says, For the word of God, meaning the Bible, is living, it's powerful, it's sharper than two -edged sword, any two-edged sword, able to pierce 
even to the division of the soul and the spirit and of the joints and the marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Wow, what a description of the Word of God. So when you think about the Bible, it's a living book. It's not like just any book. We come back to the Bible and back to the Bible and back to the Bible. When I first started reading the Bible, I was 18 and a half years old. And now I've been reading the Bible for over 40 years. And you know what? Every morning when I get up out of bed, the first thing I look forward to, God's glory, not to my credit, is reading the Bible. The Bible just draws me back and draws me back and draws me back to itself. So Paul says here about the Bible that they received this word that they were preaching, which they were preaching to them, the Bible, not as the word of men. So when you go to your Bible, don't look at it as just another human book. Go to your Bible in faith and begin to read it as what it really is, as he says in verse 13, the word of God. This is the living, active word of God. It's not dead, which effectively works in you who believe. So as you add your faith to the reading of this word, this word works its work within you. Then he goes into this uh, little discussion about, again, great blessing and great boldness being accompanied by opposition and suffering. So he talks about uh, that along with all of the wonderful things that God was doing and God working effectively among them, they encountered much suffering. How true is this, that oftentimes in our times of greatest blessing, our times of greatest encouragement, there's still that presence of opposition and suffering in our lives. This also is described very clearly in the book of Hebrews, this time in chapter 10. Let me just read this little passage to you. I think this describes this kind of suffering so clearly. Um, in Hebrews chapter 10, Verses 31 through 36. Paul says, For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive what has been promised. And then a quote, For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come, and he will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith, but if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but we are of those who believe to the saving of our souls. <coughs> so God provides for us opportunities, and he also provides for us boldness, and he also provides for us blessing. But along with that many times, there comes opposition and sacrifice and suffering. So Paul tells us in this passage in Thessalonians that there will be uh, oppositions just as Jesus faced opposition, even to the point that people might for forbid us to try to speak, but that they will be repaid for their sins 
And then he says, and the wrath that has come upon them to the uttermost. So unfortunately, God is going to deal with the people who oppose us, the people who persecute us, and that shouldn't produce any rejoicing in us. Um, but it is a, a sad fact of that life. And this passage ends with just a beautiful prayer, verses 17 through 20. So Paul is longing, longing, longing for these people that he was affectionate toward, these people who had become dear to him, verse 8. And then he says a prayer for them, starting in verse 17. But we, brethren, have been taken away from you for a short time in present, not in heart. We endeavor more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope? What is our joy or our crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. So I encourage you today, allow yourselves to rejoice in the people God has given you in your life. Re allow yourself to rejoice in the Lord first and foremost and, in, and trust him to impress upon your heart his uh, mission, his message, make you an ambassador and to allow you to be present with the people in your life with childlike faith as a nur nurturing mother and also as an exhorting father. So Lord, thank you for your attention and let's just go to the Lord in prayer and end this session. Heavenly Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you so much for this opportunity to share the word of God with my sisters through this podcast. And I pray, Lord, that your blessing would be upon your word that is living and active and that it will do a good work in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.